It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a film review Monday of the Locked On Cougars podcast. If you take a look back at the Wyoming win for the Cougars, what did I take away after watching that game a second time? We'll also talk about where BYU is in the national polls and look ahead to the Utah State game on Thursday night. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Our title sponsor today, by the way, is our friends over at LinkedIn. We'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs is helping you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. All right, a big thank you once again for joining us here. We're very proud here on Locked On Cougars to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where, of course, the motto is your team every day and also thank you for making us your first listen every single day by way of introduction for some of you who may be checking us out for the very first time my name is jake i work for the ksl sports zone in salt lake city utah as the executive producer of dj and pk in the morning and a huge thank you for taking some time to join us here as you can see i'm sporting my 49ers hat i'm actually recording this at halftime of sunday night football between the denver broncos and the san francisco 49ers but nonetheless always love talking byu sports and let's get right to it here What we do on Mondays on this show is we take a look back at the game for BYU football. I will typically, obviously, be covering the games. I do that for the KSL Sports Zone, the radio station I just mentioned. I do our BYU pre- and post-game coverage. And, of course, I'm watching the game live, whether it's at Lavelle Edwards Stadium or I'm watching it remotely from studios, etc. But then on Sundays, I'll typically sit down and watch the game again and write down notes of what I took away from a second viewing of the game. It's actually kind of interesting to watch a game a second time, not having to worry about, okay, what's happening in the moment here, all that stuff. It's actually nice to be able to sit back and be able to look at the game a little bit deeper and understand, okay, that's a trend that's emerging. That's something that's new. So let's get right to it here and start off with this. Uh, we'll start off with a funny note, by the way. I love when I rewatch these games. Some of the announcers that they call these games in ESPN's case this past week, uh, there were four names in particular that I heard that were mispronounced. I had uh, George Odo, uh, of course, Udo, BYU safety slash hybrid linebacker. You had Lorenzo Fawatoa instead of Fawatea. We had uh, Puka Nakoa instead of Puka Nakua at one point in that game. And then also Brendan Cosper was the fourth one that I took away from that game. Well, it was one of those funny things that I just, I, I always find it funny when we watch the game and hear the announcer's pronunciations. I'm like, oh, okay, that was a little bit of a gaffe, but I can't say that I am I am not guilty of this. I do high school football games, and trust me, doing play-by-play and analyst work, it's a lot tougher than it may look. So uh, I, I'll give him a break. It just made me chuckle. All right, a couple of things to take away from this game. I actually really liked how BYU came out in this contest after the Oregon loss, and they gave multiple guys that had not been given an opportunity previous to this more of an opportunity to prove what they could do. I think BYU really, as they said, went back to the fundamentals, opened up uh, how they were operating after that Oregon loss, and decided, you know, 
what? Let's try something new. I saw guys like Bruce Mitchell, a freshman defensive tackle from South Summit High School up there in the Camas area of Utah, a very rural area, to a high school. He got a whole lot of playing time. He was actually in the second uh, unit for BYU on that defensive line, and he played a whole lot and actually had a really nice pass breakup late in this game. It's good to see him getting his opportunity. This is a guy who I said is from a 2A high school here in the state of Utah, and a lot of people wondered how was his game going to translate to the high-level Division One, uh, high Division One level, and the Power 5 level, and it sure looks like just the early returns are positive. Also, Jackson Kafusi got an opportunity with the second team on linebacker. I think it's the most extensive playing time I've seen for Jackson in his time at BYU. It's good to see him out there wearing the number 13. He didn't necessarily make any highlight real plays, but it's just good to see him getting an opportunity in this game. Hunter Greer, a walk-on defensive lineman from Timpanogos High School in Orem, just up the road from BYU. He had a nice tackle for loss in that game as well. So I think BYU's coaches were very intense Intent on giving guys who maybe had uh, been showing out in practice, but you weren't 100% con- uh, sure, like, how are these guys going to look when I actually put them in a game? Well, you know what? No time like the present, give them that opportunity. And I thought those three guys in particular flourished. I, I thought they actually had a really, really good game overall. Now, the other thing is the injury list. There are a number of injuries here. Uh, two very notable ones that I saw on Instagram yesterday. Austin Riggs, I did not see this during the game. He's BYU's long snapper. He's been snapping for both punts and PAT and field goal work all year long so far. He suffered a broken hand, as well as Malik Moore, who suffered a similar type injury to his hand. Both of them are expected or were expected to meet with a specialist to determine if they needed to undergo surgery. So uh, BYU will now turn to Britton Hogan. Ostensibly, he actually finished the game at long snapper uh, for BYU. And then Malik Moore, uh, him being out obviously hurts BYU safety group, but I think Micah Harper established himself, I think, going into this Utah State game. He should be a starter at safety. He was phenomenal, I thought, rewatching the game. I thought it was great live if you watch the postcast edition or listen to the postcast edition of this show. I was ranting and raving about Micah Harper's starring role in this game. Kind of had his reemergence after that ACL injury that he suffered during the 2020 season. We've kind of seen him be off the radar for over a year now, but to see him reemerge and now playing safety rather than cornerback, I thought he was phenomenal. And if Malik Moore is going to be out an extensive period of time, because if he has surgery, that's what? Six weeks, probably. I don't know how long necessarily, but uh, you'd hope that he uh, can, in the case of Michael Harper, step into a Malik Moore type role and take on a bigger responsibility in this defense. Also, guys like Hayden Livingston, Ammon Hanneman, uh, who else am I thinking of? Taylor Alfrey. They will be very important to help fill that role. You don't want to lose a multi-year starter like Malik Moore on the back end of your defense, but I thought a guy like Michael Harper really showed that hey, if this guy is going to be out for a long period, I'd give a sh- I'd give a strong look to Michael Harper filling that role there. Now, other things I took away here. Uh, Keenan Peely. Uh, I didn't see this live. Uh, rewatching the game, like I said, I, I watched these games a second time, and a lot of times I'll pick up on things that I missed live. Keenan Peely, folks, is really getting back to what he was at the beginning of the 2021 season. If you recall, in the, uh, the first three games of the 2021 season, uh, those three Power 5 games, they beat Arizona, beat Utah, and then beat Arizona State before he tore his ACL in that Arizona State game. Well, he is back to playing at the level I saw him play at during that 2021 season. He was getting after it. And it's been a full year. This is game four. This is a full year uh, for him coming around uh, the whole way from that ACL tear. And he is getting back to playing the way that he was playing early on in the 2021 season. He seemed to be a little, I don't know, uh, tentative is probably not the right word, but he wasn't fully, I think, 
how do I say this, game ready? I, I don't know how to say it early on in the season. He wasn't playing at the level that I saw him play at in this game against Wyoming. Uh, coming up in run support, playing sideline to sideline. He's doing the things that made him so good early on during the 2021 season. He's, season. He's finally getting back to that. And that is a fantastic development for BYU on defense. That Peyton Wilgar was very good in his own right as well at that linebacker spot. So very nice to see that. Other things to take away. Uh, in this first half, uh, BYU, that four-minute offense they ran at the tail end of the first half. They're down 10-7, to if you recall. And BYU gets the ball back. And Jaron Hall just goes on a rampage, leading this offense down the field. They ran the four-minute offense to almost perfection. Get that touchdown just before halftime to Braden Cosper, the first one of his career. I actually think that touchdown calls when they called him Brendan Cosper. It kind of made me chuckle there to hear that. But nonetheless, they get that touchdown, and that kind of reestablished order. It's like telling Wyoming, no, this is our home field. We're taking care of business. From that point on, the first half for BYU actually was not the way that they wanted to play this game. In the first half, Wyoming held the ball for a grand total of 18 minutes and 3 seconds in the first half. BYU had it for just under 12 minutes. That's a significant lead in terms of the overall time of possession, and that's a very critical thing for a team like Wyoming. They want to control the clock, control the action, and they did that by and large in the first half. Well, in the second half, BYU flipped that on its head. By the end of the game, BYU finished with 30 minutes and 23 seconds of time of possession. If you recall, I just said they had over six minutes uh, of, of disparity in the time of possession in the first half. They flipped it on its head, and BYU played the game in the second half on their terms. That was a very impressive thing to see BYU's adjustments in both offense and defense come out and work in concert to flip this game on its head. BYU took control of it and never let go of it in the final 30 minutes of that game. It was nice to see. Also, on the defensive side of things, in the first half, uh, obviously there's sack yardage factored into this. So it's not a complete... Uh, it, it, sack yardage is so funny because in the NFL, they actually count it in your passing yardage as a quarterback. In the, in the college game, it counts towards your rush yardage. But nonetheless, in terms of net yards in this game for Wyoming, at halftime, Wyoming had 97 rushing yards at the half. They finished the game with 124. That is just 27 rushing yards. Uh, 27 rushing yards given up in that second half by the BYU defense. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal turnaround. That's what made this game actually a very good showing, I thought, for BYU's defense in the second half. They can lean more into what they did in the second half of that game. I was very impressed by that number because, as you recall, early on in that game, especially the first quarter, they were getting gashed for seven, eight, nine yards a pop. After the first quarter, really, though, BYU settled in. They brought a seven-man box into the mix. They put five, as many as five defensive linemen, by the way, on the front. At one point, uh, BYU opened the game with three defensive tackles and two defensive ends on the field. They went with essentially a 5-2 defense. I know it looked more like a 3-4 with three down linemen. The two defensive ends were in two-point stances up on the line. But that was five defensive linemen on the line. Actually, and that's when BYU actually got gashed more than they were later on in the game. They actually went to more of a traditional four-down alignment with their defensive line later in the game. And they seem to lock in, and that was very, very good to see for BYU on offense. Now, a couple other notes here. I, I thought that uh, Miles Davis looked very good running the football, and I didn't expect anything less from that, but 
He still has a ways to go in terms of his blitz pickup, understanding the, his entire role in the offense. His decision-making at times can be suspect. He also likes to dance a little bit. I, there were a couple of times where he's trying to like kind of juke a guy. As a running back, I know as a wide receiver, his background as a wide receiver in high school, you can dance a little bit on the perimeter. As a running back, you just got to put your shoulder, shoulder down and barrel forward. I'd like to see him do that a little bit more. I think he could have picked up some extra yardage, the yak or the rack, the uh, yards after contact had decided, you know what, I'm just going to try and bowl these guys over. That's one thing that a guy who's grown up playing running back like a Christopher Brooks or a Lopini Katoa, they understand that intuitively. A guy like Miles Davis, who didn't play running back until getting to BYU, he's still learning that aspect. Also, like I said, his blitz pickup needs to improve. Uh, the, he He's still a young guy. I, I don't expect it to be perfection, but... Uh, eventually that is going to cost him playing time rather than them being like, oh, it's okay. You just go do your thing. Uh, on the Christopher Brooks front, by the way, I don't know if I, you guys saw this. A lot of us you, a lot of us out there, there were 60,092 of you, I think, at Lavelle Edwards Stadium for this game. And in the game, the broadcasting crew mentioned that Christopher Brooks has been dealing with hamstring tightness. They said that actually in the first quarter, if I recall, re-watching the game. And as the game progressed, Christopher Brooks saw a lesser and lesser role. He actually, I did not see him. I, I watched this game again. I did not see him in the backfield for BYU in the second half of that game. Was it a hamstring issue that actually caused him to sit out in the second half? I don't know. Uh, Kalani Satake did say after the game that he was playing the quote-unquote hot hand, and obviously Miles Davis made him look smart with his ability to run the football. But Christopher Brooks sitting out that second half, man, I I don't want to say that it's an injury-related thing, but them to say that he's been dealing with hamstring tightness, maybe that's part of why Christopher Brooks has not been everything that BYU hoped he would be. But hey, Miles Davis looked very, very good. All right, a couple other notes here before we move on to some other things. Uh, on the Pukunakua front, uh, as I said uh, on Friday, on, excuse me, that was Saturday night, early Sunday morning on the postcast edition of the show, uh, Klein Sitake said it was not a season-ending injury for Pukunakua. I saw him, I rewatched that play. His cleat tried to like plant in the ground, and it seemed like it just slid out from underneath him. And there was actually a comment on our YouTube channel saying, Jake, do you see the condition of the turf after that game? Was some of the moisture on the ground maybe uh, doing part to that? Possibly. Possibly. There's a the thing. It, grass gets wet. I mean, it happens. And it looked like he may have like had his knee hyperextend a little bit. And I, there was there's some concern, obviously, for what ultimately the injury is. But I hope that Puka Nakua is back sooner rather than later. I'm going to take Kalani Satake at his word. I know a number of you are like, well, we've heard that before when he says that uh, Puka could have come back in that game against USF. And we didn't, then we didn't see him until the Wyoming game. You know what? I'm, I'm going to take the coaches at their word until I hear otherwise. If I hear otherwise, I'm happy to pass along anything I learn. Now, uh, in terms of other notes before we uh, talk about the BYU rankings for this week, uh, I really thought it was interesting to see BYU uh, with their wide receiving core. As I said on the postcast edition, and I keep referring back to it, but had uh, Keanu Hill not had another breakout performance or maybe had his breakout performance of the season, this may have been the Braden Cosper game. Braden Cosper going back and re-watching the game, Keanu Hill overshadowed him with his five receptions, 160 yards and two touchdowns, but if Keanu Hill's not there, this is the Braden Cosper game. As mentioned previously, he caught his first career touchdown for BYU. He came with some very, very big catches for the Cougars. One very big one, though, he did drop. Uh, that was that scramble late in the game where uh, you have Jaron Hall scrambling out of the pocket and he it just kind of wrist flicks a ball. The Braden Cosper, uh, the defender, I thought, broke it up. The defender actually fell off of Braden Cosper before that ball got there and Cosper just had to go right off his hands. It was unfortunate he was unable to hold on to that one because there's a chance he catches that. He may have housed it for six. Uh, it was very interesting 
anything there. Now, on the running game front, offensive line-wise, I, I I don't know how to say this, but the running game actually got better as the game went on re-watching this. The outside zone, inside, inside zone concepts that BYU likes to run is their bread and butter uh, on offense. Funny enough, when uh, Miles Davis came into that game and really started taking over in the fourth quarter, it was the outside zone that was working so well for BYU. And a guy that keyed it, and I talked about this in, in the lead-up to the Wyoming game, that they needed to settle the right side of the offensive line. They needed to decide if Kingsley Suomatia or Campbell Barrington is their guy. Kingsley was actually having a pretty good game for BYU in that respect, especially in the pass-protecting side of things. But run-blocking, I thought he left a little bit to be desired. Campbell Barrington came in, and suddenly it seemed like everything was working in the in the zone gap running scheme for BYU. I, I don't I don't want to say causation is correlation or however you're supposed to say that correctly, but. Campbell Barrington, when he's been given his opportunities, has been very good, and I thought he was lights out down the stretch in that game. Obviously, you don't lose your starting spot to injury. That's the old adage. Uh, Kingsley uh, suffering an ankle injury. Uh, He had family members on Twitter saying that he underwent an x-ray, which was negative. They hope that he's back relatively soon, and I hope he's back on the field soon because he's a a phenomenally talented athlete, but the outside outside zone running scheme in particular, the stuff that got uh, Miles Davis going, especially in that fourth quarter when he had that 70-yard run, had another 27-yarder at one point in there. That stuff, a lot of it was keyed when Campbell Barrington came into this game. So very interesting to see uh, that new combination of five offensive linemen actually getting their opportunity and showing well in uh, the late in that contest. Now, the final note here is that uh, in terms of the officiating, okay, I, I looked at it. Yes, Pukunakua was held, and they called the um, they called the eligible man downfield on Campbell Barrington, funny enough, ironically there. Uh, he was held. Uh, the, the officiating staff did not have their finest game. The biggest two plays that I just thought were absolute buffoonery were the play where BYU has the uh, the the Titus Swin they wrap him up Titus Swin turns around hands the ball off to uh Andrew Peasley, the Wyoming quarterback, and then Ben Bywater does what he's supposed to do and tackles the guy. I will acknowledge rewatching the game that there was a whistle blown the second that Titus Swin is handing the ball off to Andrew Peasley. So in theory, Ben should have heard that and then uh, eased up on the play. But as Kalani Sataki said in his post-game press conference, I told the the guys, you got to be louder with your whistles if you're going to tell our guys that you that you broke a rule there. Ben slammed Andrew Peasley to the turf pretty hard, but he was playing football. The bigger one that I have an issue with is that incomplete pass. The officials watch this play develop. It's very clearly an incomplete pass. Uh, John Nelson, to his credit, makes it look like it may have been a fumble, scoops it up, starts rumbling down the field. Fisher Jackson is trying to get out in, as a convoy and block guys. So they come back and say, well, the play was an incomplete pass, but after the play, we're giving a personal foul to number 53 on the defense. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, that's after the smooth snap infraction at Oregon a week previous, which to me is a complete garbage call, that also is a garbage call, but it didn't ultimately affect the outcome. So that's the positive in that respect. But man, can we have officials not just try and make up BS as they go along? That's my, I guess, my PSA for the day. It's just one of those really tough things. Oh, and by the way, also, um, excuse me, a couple of you also are talking about uh, Connor Payne saying that it was not a hold late in the game that when Miles Davis plunged in for the touchdown late. Now, rewatching the play, uh, it's... Uh, 
It's a 50-50 call at best, I feel like. The the reason why they called it is Connor Pay has his hand on the outside. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it. I, I'm trying to, like, he had his hand on the outside and he got it overextended, if that makes sense. His hand got outside on the outside of the shoulder pad for the defensive player. And when an official sees that, I know the player didn't, like, necessarily try and peel away, et cetera, and it didn't really affect the play itself all that much. But by definition, it's like one of those letter of the law calls versus spirit of the law. Did that hold affect the ultimate outcome of that play? No, it wouldn't have, and it probably should have stood as a touchdown, in my opinion, but I also get what the official was seeing there and why he called it, because letter of the law, like what you see on film when you're training as an official, that was a holding, that's like a textbook holding uh, position to be in, so so be it, but all the same, BYU wins the game, and I thought it was a pretty positive, oh, and then finally, I also wanted to say the special teams, much better than I originally thought they were live. I would actually give BYU special teams like an A- minus grade if I were to regrade it uh, on today. I, I, th- I thought they were actually very, very good in that contest. Kind of a bounce-back night for BYU on special teams, notwithstanding losing their starting long snapper to a broken hand. All right, uh, I think I covered it all. So we'll talk a little bit about where BYU's ranked here in just a moment. We'll also catch up on the weekend that was not BYU sports. But first, I need to talk about our friends over at LinkedIn here. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business, you want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That is why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is helping find the right people for your team faster and for free. So check it out, my friends. Uh, You can go on LinkedIn Jobs right now, create a free job post, and then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame they offer to you guys to your LinkedIn profile to help spread the word that you are hiring. They offer simple tools like screening questions, which make it easy to focus on the candidates that that you want to talk to with just the right skills and experience you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and then ultimately hire. That is why small businesses are rating LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. Check it out, my friends. LinkedIn jobs wants to help you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster right now. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months, or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show and uh, taking time to listen uh, to me blather on about the Cougars, as I guess some of you might say, but I still have a great time with it. I, I hope uh, my film review Mondays help you guys uh, kind of digest and understand what's going on with the game. But now as we look forward uh, for BYU this week, our friends over at Bet Online, you can check them out. They have BYU opening up as a 24-point favorite over Utah State Thursday night. If I'm not mistaken, it's the only third Thursday night college game. It's going to be opposite, obviously, the NFL on Amazon. But this is a big uh, stage for BYU football to be on, obviously, in the battle for the old wagon wheel against the Utah State Aggies. The Aggies are struggling. They're 1-3. I'm actually not surprised by that line. I do think it's a, just a, a tad bit high because this is a rivalry game, and I, I know that Utah State's going to be absolutely desperate coming into Provo, but they are going to be facing a top-20 ranked squad. BYU in the coaches poll moved up to number 20 for number 23 in the poll released yesterday. 
yesterday on the coaches' side of thing. Then a couple hours later, the AP poll came out, and BYU remained static at number 19 in that poll, albeit they picked up 100 extra votes. And the way things are tallied, uh, for those of you who may not be 100% clear on how the AP poll goes, they have a bunch of voters that are in the media across the country, and they vote uh, 1 through 25 on the teams that they think are the top 25 teams in the country. Then it is tabulated, I think, uh, the num- so a number of first place voters worth 25 points and then a uh, 25, uh, so you're, if you're placed 25 on a ballot, that's worth one point. So they tabulate all of these across the board, and then it comes out that, hey, you have uh, team rank number one, two, three, on down the line. So BYU actually got 100 extra points this week by people moving them up in their polls, but because teams around them remained relatively static. BYU remains at number 19 in the country. I, I actually thought BYU would move up a spot or two, honestly, uh, thinking about the game post-game, but being at 19 is not a bad place to be. Now, if you get out of the month of September, ostensibly with a win over Utah State on Thursday night, and you do so with a big win, I could see BYU moving up next week as they get ready to take on uh, Notre Dame down there in Las Vegas. Very much looking forward to that. I will be down there in Sin City for that game. Cannot wait uh, to go check out Allegiant Stadium. It'll be my first time uh, seeing Allegiant Stadium from the inside. I've been around it a couple of times in person, but I've never been actually inside the giant Roomba, as I like to call it call it, uh, but looking forward to that opportunity. But I could see BYU, if you, if you get out of the month of September with a 4-1 and one record, you're probably sitting at, what, 16-17 at that point, going into that uh, Notre Dame matchup, and it's a big opportunity for BYU. Obviously, you got to handle your business this week, and the injury concerns for BYU, they're absolutely a, a, a concern. That, that I know that it's, it's, it sounds like a pun there, but they've got to be very, very wary of going into a game like this where they're beat up against Utah State, and like I said, a desperate Utah State squad. They, they, their season has gotten off to just an absolutely miserable start. They didn't look great in their season opener against UConn. Then they go to Alabama and get absolutely crushed by the Crimson Tide. It was 55-0. Then they come home and Weber State uh, goes up to Logan and absolutely thrashes them 35-7. to And then this past week, UNLV, who's having a little bit of a resurgent year, uh, I don't know how many of you out there really paying attention to college football beyond a BYU or the Big 12, but uh, UNLV having a nice bounce back year so far this year, and UNLV just, it was 34-24 was the final score, but it wasn't even that close. UNLV controlled that game essentially from the middle of the first quarter on. Uh, Utah State got off to a decent start, but they could not sustain the momentum, and suddenly the Aggies are 1-3. and three. A year after they came off a Mountain West Conference title, 10 wins, Blake Anderson looks like a revelation for Utah State. Suddenly they're coming to Provo thinking, oh, if we don't win this game, are we going to be able to make a bowl game? Because they'd be 1-4. I, I think it'd the mere opposite of BYU after this matchup. Do I expect Utah State to win this game? No, I do not. They have got just so many injuries. By the way, uh, Utah State, where they are the most banged up, is on their defensive front. They suffered yet another potential season-ending injury in that game against Utah State on their defensive front. So BYU, they got better running the football against Wyoming against a very, very banged-up Utah State defensive front. Uh, it could be a pretty good day for BYU to kind of cure what ills them with regards to the run game. I, I On paper, this looks like a perfect matchup for BYU to get back to running the football and uh, becoming the team that uh, you want to see running the football to finish out this season, or at least get get things going at midseason. Because this is they're nearing the midway poll. Uh, this will be five games in of a twelve game regular season. Notre Dame's officially the halfway point, or uh, there in October and. It's crazy to think about that we're almost halfway through this season, but we're at the quarter where the we made it. We're one third the way through. And just uh, a quick thought. 
BYU is doing exactly, I think, what we all hope they would do at this point. And there are opportunities now. I, I really think the best team remaining on BYU's schedule at this point is Arkansas. Uh, they lost to Texas A&M on a kick that went off the top of the upright down there in uh, Jerry World at AT&T Stadium in Texas. That was a that was a brutal loss for the Razorbacks. But I don't think Notre Dame's necessarily all they've been cracked up to be. They were highly overrated. Oh, wait, Notre Dame being highly overrated? Who would have thought? It's a joke. Any of you out there who paid attention to college football know what I'm talking about. It's like Notre Dame gets annually like, oh, they, they this could be the year they break through. And every so often they do, but they're not what people think they are. This is not the the 1980s with Lou Holtz running the thing for, B, for, for Notre Dame. So BYU's got an opportunity here, folks. They get out of this month. This is the final game this week of the month of September for BYU against the Aggies. If they're 4-1 and one coming out of this month, 9-3 and three, it feels like is probably the bare minimum of the expectation at that point for BYU and probably a 10 win season could be in the cards for the Cougars. Now, if you go to Notre Dame, this is looking a little too far out, out, out ahead. If you beat Notre Dame in Las Vegas and you're sitting at five and one at the halfway pole, well, 10 wins sure looks like that should be the goal at that point. It, it sure looks like that should be like the bare minimum at that point. And, Incredible to think about. BYU could have three straight seasons with 30-plus uh, wins in that run up to going into the Big 12. Talk about some momentum. Things are, things are like, like there are stones, or I don't know how to say it. There, there are things falling into place for here for BYU, and that should have you very excited as a BYU fan. But the team, speaking of the Cougars, they cannot afford to look ahead like we can. They've got to focus, on obviously, on the here and now and hoping to retain the old wagon wheel and keep that in Provo this Thursday night. All right, coming up here in just a minute, we'll round out today's show with the final news and notes, including a look at the weekend that was for all other BYU sports. We'll get to that as we continue on right here on Locked on Cougars. NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, before we go, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with BYU this past weekend. Uh, if you were at the game at Lavelle Edwards Stadium or you were there the night before, BYU inducted five former All-Americans into the BYU Athletic Hall of Fame in a formal ceremony that was on Friday night hosted by the Cougar Club at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. They were also honored at halftime at LES Saturday night uh, during the game. The 45th Hall of Fame class includes Miles Batty from the track and field and cross-country teams on the men's side of things, Lindsay Lizenby Cutshaw from women's soccer, Rachel Nuren Harmon from uh, women's golf, Ivan Perez from the men's volleyball program, and then obviously uh, Dennis Pitta himself, the former BYU All-American at tight end. They were uh, inducted at that ceremony. Since the inception of the BYU Hall of Fame in 1975, nearly 250 student athletes, coaches, trainers, administrators, broadcasters, and teams have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Among the criteria to be considered for induction, you have to have All-American status, other national awards and recognition. You have to have graduated from university. Many of us know the famous story with Jim McMahon. It took him years to officially get graduated so he could be inducted. Professional accomplishments and obviously community service. So congratulations to all five of these players. All of them, if you pay attention to other BYU sports, you know that these five are some of the greats in BYU sports and 
similar to the rest of the members of the BYU Sports Hall of Fame, there's a great, great pantheon or a, a collection of talent that BYU's had in its sporting history, and uh, it doesn't stop. That's the fun part if, if you're a BYU fan. All right, final notes here. BYU Women's Volleyball uh, beat number 17 Pepperdine. The 16th-ranked Cougars did a 3-1 in their matchup on Saturday afternoon. They won their fourth straight match and also gave head coach Heather Olmstead her 200th career win. Why is that notable beyond just being a, a really cool benchmark to make 200 wins? She is the fastest coach to win 200 games in her head coaching career. She did in just 225 games. Think about that. 225 times she's been out there on that court with the BYU Women's Volleyball Program, and 200 times her team has prevailed. It's absolutely an insane number. But congratulations to Heather Olmstead. She deserves it. That Women's Volleyball Program is very lucky to have her. And congratulations. Uh, to her squad on that victory. So there you go. That is everything we had uh, to cover on today's show. Looking forward to tomorrow. Uh, Clark Barrington expected to join us tomorrow to talk about the win over Wyoming. Look forward to an in-state matchup against Utah State. What does he make of in-state rivalries? We'll have that for you guys on tomorrow's show and obviously talking about a lot more when it comes to the BYU football program in his exclusive interview right here on Locked on Cougars. That'll do it for us. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Hope you guys are all doing fantastic out there. Make your second listen, our friends, over the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Josh Neighbors got you covered top to bottom when it comes to all things Big 12 news and notes. Get that free and available wherever you get your podcast, just like this one, or watch it on YouTube. Until tomorrow, have a great rest of your day. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast. See ya. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.